0: In the talk with you this evening, I would like to speak about the nature of uh, experiences, and include in the the thread and the theme of the talk, the way that we tend to make our world, make our realities, Just uh, recently, I um, was uh, re- reading a, a book about poetry, and I have, like perhaps a number of you here, an interest in in poetry and the usefulness and the insights that can come from poetry, both from reading poems and and also from one's own efforts in in this regard, and I must say that I, uh, one of the uh, great appreciations of uh, coming to the United States is to have the opportunity to call into two bookshops. one is in Cambridge, Massachusetts, uh, Wordsworth, which has a tremendous uh, selection and variety of books and the other pilgrimage which I make here is when I get the chance is to Telegraph Avenue and to Cody's, which I see from their advertisements has. Uh, more than a 100,000 uh, books in, and I do have some doubt, whether I'll, I'll have the opportunity to read them all. And in a book of uh, poetry, a uh, poet was um, comp- complaining quite uh, uh, tenaciously about the way there has been, and this is often the cry of the conservative voice, of course, the way there has been an immense decline in poetry, and that this decline in poetry is because the word itself has lost its meaning, and he was recalling, and this will bear if you bear with me for a little while on this sort of poetry retreat, but will bear with me. And he was recalling that when he received some trainings and disciplines in Uh, poetry the first question which the group of students was asked is what is a poem what is the poem and the various students put forth a whole stream of ideas about what is a poem and they responded uh, in, in all manner of ways and then he dismissed the whole lot of these descriptions of what is a poem and he in essence he summarized it as a, a poem is that which has a meter to it has a meter to it and the students were absolutely furious at this reactionary conservative viewpoint and there was a lot of discussion and argument and debate uh, about it and the point I want to make here one might also say the same thing of what is spirituality. And if possibly I was to put out the same kind of uh, question to you, and though I certainly have never considered myself an arch-conservative, or even a little one, but nevertheless, if I was to put out a definition or to ask, which I will save you from that, uh, ask what is spirituality, there might well be a whole range of different responses. And if I may take the conservative position for uh, just a moment, which would be perhaps the first time in my life, um, in taking a a view of what is spirituality, I do think it does have some uh, frameworks to it. It does have a, shall we say, a body to it, which is very distinctive and the distinction of it is such that in any way that you might say what is spirituality or what I might say spirituality is, it cannot exclude three essential areas. I just feel it it cannot be overridden or uh, uh, dismissed and there has been in some religious forms, in some um, spiritual traditions, both contemporary and interpretations of the older, tendency to dismiss them. One of them, I think which is uh, vital and um, indispensable, which I referred to uh, yesterday evening, and that is the uh, ethical guidelines. And these ethical guidelines do serve as a basis in human relationships and extend further. The commitment, the undertaking to be free from killing, free from uh, stealing, free from uh, sexual abuse, free from uh, lying, and free from the uh, abuse of alcohol and drugs. And what one has seen, and of course there have been a whole variety, a number of stories, there have been a v- whole variety of articles too, which have been written. The, the shadow of Buddhist America, I remember seeing a, a chapter, or article in a magazine, and a whole variety of other themes, in which somehow or, or other, for some reasons, or, or the whole variety of reasons, there has been uh, a forgetfulness, or a n- neglect, or sometimes a bit rather crude. Um, disregard for uh, the guidelines which serve as uh, a basis for our life. And with that, when there has been forgetfulness of that or caught up in uh, an issue with regard to that, let's, you know, call what is, what is. And therefore some error of perception, some foolishness or naivety or blatant disregard has occurred and I feel if, the, if that, all of that's neglected, if that isn't addressed in our lives and isn't given care and attention to then what happens is that we find uh, that meditation work in the areas of mindfulnesses and awarenesses and these explorations do in fact simply become a form of mental gymnastics because they don't have a foundation to them, they don't have a a, have a a a basis to them. So, the first area I say is ethical considerations, and the danger, which has, has been a feature of religious life, of course, is becoming painfully, awfully um, self-righteous and moralistic. So, can there be for us a way of uh, being in the world which we do genuinely seriously pay regard to ethical guidelines, to religious principles, to uh, spiritual disciplines, to uh, some religions were called to commandments which actively say yes, these areas need to be integrated and really need to be given support and uh, reverence in our life what has happened and i think uh, particularly where there has been some difficulties uh, and i think more so in the united states in this uh, area in the last uh, decade decade or two i think some very unfortunate things has also have happened when there's been a a reaction to these principles because of all sorts of errors of uh, judgment, or behavior, or whatever it is, that, that, that one error then gets magnified. And the, the Buddha used a very uh, good um, an analogy of this. It's like sometimes persons or person um, neglects and ignores one or more of these ethical guidelines in different ways. And the Buddha said it's like um, dropping um, ink on a cloth. And the cloth Uh, It's certainly stained, but what very easily happens is that the attention then focuses on that particular event, and the whole person is then rejected and negated because of one. It's used to illustrate, oh, this person is obviously um, uh, useless all over. This person really has nothing to offer at all because of, one particular incident or incident and I think one has always has to be very watchful of judging mind and how the judging mind can, can swing in all manner of directions to an other or others or to oneself and from a particular draw the generalisation Clarity of mind is seeing what is. Clarity of mind is seeing clearly and unequivocally what is. But let us always, with ourselves, as well as with others, be watchful of, the, uh, of taking upon ourselves, being judge, jury, and prosecutor, and sometimes executioner. When we're referring to a particular um, rather than the general I say for ourselves so sometimes in our uh, life some event may happen in our life which we, which we regard as unfortunate which we regard with, uh, with, with great regret I have had people on my retreats who have said to me in uh, a one-to-one Uh, Christopher, some time ago, some years ago, I got into a terrible rage with somebody, and I killed that person. And this has, has caused me incredible pain, and incredible sorrow and regret. And I've had to live with this, day in and day out. And every time I sit, and every time I meditate, this situation, this crime of passion, in my rage and in my jealousy, just overwhelms me, and it's a, one of those situations where there has been an event, the ethical guidelines and principles for people not to generate suffering to each other was completely forgotten and neglected or sometimes never even thought and and contemplated and and it seems like the the offshoot of that the consequences of that run. Years, 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 years. And the person said, as somebody said to me on the situation very r- recently, Christopher, where is the end of the consequences? Where is, as they will say in the East, where is the end of the fruits of the karma of that action? Because I'm night- it's a nightmare, morning, noon and night, and I have become friendless and utterly unemployable. So I say, there's the basis, the ethical uh, uh, guidelines there, the respect for them, but also to be observing them in a way that we don't use it to form harsh and damaging views and opinions about others or ourselves. The second uh, um, area, and and in a way, to some degree, the first area of these ethical, ethical guidelines, to some degree, we are observed. We observe them uh, by default, to some degree. In other, in other words, in a situation like here, and in many other situations in our in our life, we. Observe them because there's no threat to them. We're not challenged in any way by them. But the metal of our awareness in life comes, and our wisdom and understanding life comes when we're challenged by them in some way or other. And challenging, being challenged by them is the capacity to say no. And there is tremendous subtleties and depth in our life of what it actually means to say in sometimes in capital letters with an exclamation mark at the end of it and even two or three of them to say no 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 whatever in these areas and that that's in a way a kind of uh, inner empowerment to situations and it's not easy when self-interest, which is the ego, which is uh, arising, and sometimes arising with a considerable force, that there the ego comes in and says, yes, w- whatever it may be, yes, I want, yes, I want to be able to make a lot of quick money easily, as an example, and exploitation and cheating and ripping some people or organizations, or whatever it it is, of, becomes a modus operandi, because one has forgotten the power of no, and stealing, which is a word we wouldn't like to use of ourselves, so we'll find some word which is more acceptable, like, well, I need to make some money. Not thinking of where it's coming from, and who is being deprived through the desire to get rich quick. And it's rather amusing to read in these uh, wretched um, news magazines of this country, Time and Newsweek being the, the, the high priest of wretchedness, that they will say these days in the, um, uh, of the Eastern Bloc, Now the Eastern Bloc, and I would give stories and examples of pursuing the American dream, which is getting rich quick, which is an insult to millions of people's lives in this country, but it's perpetuated, and as a result of the mythology of the American uh, dream, and any other dream in that way, people have incredible anxieties about money huge anxieties about money. Rich, poor, middle, up the ladder, down the ladder, off the ladder, on top of the ladder, doesn't seem to make much difference to the degree of anxieties around money. And I say, let's be very watchful, because where there's anxieties around such area, there can be, to try to get out of the anxiety, the get rich quickly as possible mentality can be lurking in the fears of not having enough it goes with the, it goes with the fear it lurks stealthily in consciousness if only i had more money So we take the consideration to the ethical guidelines and uh, and ways that and I've just touched upon the first two there, and the others also needed to be regarded and, and explored with as much uh, concern. And then one says, okay, well, I really want to live with those, acknowledge those, not only by default, but as principles in our lives as much as humanly possible, in situations where I'm tested, where the metal is tested in the fire. (coughs) And the, and then meditation work and mindfulness and these disciplines which we engage in here together in a way are part of the overall uh, um, uh, expansion of human consciousness. I mean, if our world is such that The ethical guidelines were just observed. How utterly different it would be. Life and earth would be utterly unrecognisable. Women would be able to walk the streets at night. The the money of the world would be evenly uh, distributed. The tobacco, the alcohol and the drug companies would be out of business. There would there would be care and support. There would be sense of security and safety in this world. People would live many years longer. There would be much more happiness and contentment in this world, just if any if any single one of those was observed with diligence in a society in on the earth. And we say this is the fulfilment of human evolution, uh, but is as a basis which for, for meditative awarenesses and contemplations, the second area. One of the things which concerns me too, and hopefully for any person who wants to discover what we might call reality, who wants to discover what we might call the nature of things, what we might be to realise, is how, I think, as people, as human beings, we are easily manipulated in all sorts of, uh, all sorts of ways, socially, politically, economically, religiously, educationally, etc, etc. And, what one sees today is, in terms of the frequency of this, how much, as a friend commented how much reality is marketable reality has become marketable you can change reality you can make reality in the way that you want you can sell your reality you can buy your reality it's it's a whole world of interchange which is going on and one of the ways that can show show itself we often have uh, when we have caught into the reality is marketable thinking we often have the lingering unsatisfactoriness inside of ourselves about we might say um, where we are that is where we are living and who we are these two this vulnerability of human beings this inner susceptibility the unsatisfactoriness is there can and is frequently played upon on our consciousness, and we get a picture, we get an idea of reality that if we move to another place, as an example, a common one, if we get a so-called better job, then our reality will be that much better, we'll have a better reality. If we buy this item, if we pursue this good, this whatever it might be, then then our reality is going to improve. So we start buying and selling our idea of reality, and it becomes a product. And we get trapped in this, we get caught up in this. And so one finds, and the subtleties of this will show itself in our days here, we find that when we do change something, and when we do move somewhere, and when we do change the the job which is all part of uh, sometimes necessary and appropriate, what happens is after a period of time, the new place isn't quite it, not quite the place something's wrong with it, Some th- it being the neighbors quite often there's always something wrong with the neighbors or oh, there's something wrong, there's not enough s- space to house the um, 99,000 books that one has bought from Cody's. Oh, there's something going on outside, the helicopters keep flying overhead, the traffic on the freeway. There's always something not right about it. Similarly with jobs, so the, un- the dissatisfaction arises. One tells people, I'm living in this terrible reality. And that agitation moves. The very place which was such, was home, which one was so pleased to get, for a variety of reasons, becomes hated. Job, relationship, home, possessions, money, or whatever. And this constant pursuit for a better reality. And one says, in the mythology of all of this, well, it's my choice. Who is manipulating who? What's happening that we live with these mentally, daily constructed realities? Can we, in this time here, in these days here, actually look through all of that? That gets, that mind, our mind in that way, is supplanted into situations like this. So a person may be sitting, you may have noticed in your day here today. You're sitting, or walking. After a period of time, one begins to notice something about oneself. Something unsatisfactory. And this unsatisfactory feeling produces some thoughts. The thought might be, and a common one is, if I didn't have this going on in my life, whatever it might be, either right now or in a general way, then I'd probably be enlightened by now. I'd probably be (laughs) floating around in Nirvana, not knowing what to do with myself, but at least I'd be happy. And, but it's this particular thing which is stopping me from being uh, a Buddha, if one is trying to be a little um, modest, a bodhisattva at least, and (laughs) one has to, might even be an Arahant. last resort. So, so this view that there is something, and this something is... uh, troubling me, it doesn't go away. If I didn't have this, it might be at the physical level, it might be at the emotional level, psychological, mental uh, level, personal level, whatever it might be, that this stops me. And as one of the teachers says, Joseph, Joseph uh, 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 Goldstein, who has um, been um, teaching, and many of you know of of him through uh, his um, wonderful uh, retreats and has said as a one-liner which uh, everybody on this earth should take to heart it's probably the best thing he ever said and don't tell him I said that and and he said he said if it's not one thing it's another (laughs) and to me that sums up the entire body of the buddhist teachings And it always seems to be, if it's not one thing, then it is something else. And so the content, the form, the shape of the experience, the dissatisfaction with it, it the way that it manifests uh, it itself, it's as though we're thinking in terms of, I get rid of this one, then that's all I need to do. And what what one finds so easily is that the sooner the one thing disappears, it fades out of consciousness, sometimes simply because we haven't got the energy to keep thinking about it and we're so exhausted. So it fades away. There's a short-term relief from it, sometimes even 45 minutes, and then it reappears in some other form. Or a similar one, so I say that in our awareness as a, a second essential feature of spiritual life and the interest to observe and contemplate upon things, to see what what way are we interpreting and making reality? What are we doing to fix our notion of reality? Well, are we thinking that reality is marketable by getting this? selling that consuming this producing that are we actually living our lives where where we believe reality is marketable are we putting out that message to other people any real estate agents here please note (laughs) so again the relationship And the way that we communicate and connect with each other and the kind of messages that you and I give each other make our world. Make what we imagine it to be, make what we think it is. And spirituality says, let's face that tiger in the eye. So, meditation, and the way that I um, use the language here, just for uh, con- convenience, here with meditation, because sometimes one sees that there's a, a variety of ways of uh, saying what meditation uh, uh, is, and and they the varieties of ways of using the language for it. Describing meditation may vary from person to person, you know, obviously quite considerably. So for myself, when I usually use the word meditation, I certainly use it um, interchangeably with a whole variety of concepts, mindfulness, observation, being conscious, paying attention to, being here and now, listening to oneself, touching on the moment, connecting with what is. All of that, I, and meditation, I put in the same category. <coughs> but generally speaking, I know in, in myself, um, just um, uh, over the years, over the years, over more than two decades now, um, when for myself, and maybe it's because I've just seen too many um, meditators, and um, is that, the, that with the word meditation, I can say, oh, one can um, apply meditation in every moment of the day, but with meditation comes the wor- comes sorry the image of this kind of shape of the body either on the chair or uh, on the stool or on the floor and i don't seem to you quite get the image out the way and be totally wholehearted and say one can meditate every moment of the day so, when I use the word meditation, it tends to have the image, it comes, arises with it, of people sitting cross-legged, kneeling, or in the chair in the meditation room, or doing slow walking. And that is like meditation. That, that, that's the image that, that, that comes, and I seem to be lumbered with it, and I blame all you for that. And, <laughs> and so, with mindfulness, which and conscious attention, we say yes in this uh, is belonging to meditation and the range of experiences, meditative experiences which come, and mindfulness being those that care and attention to what's happening at any time, any experience of the day and night. And we're mindful and we're mindful, but not just being mindful, but we're mindful in a particular way. Because, as an example, uh, if uh, you're you're sitting here, and somebody decided to uh, enter the centre here, and um, to move into our respective bedrooms, and to steal our stuff, no doubt that person who did that would be incredibly mindful. They would put he or she would put your slow walking to shame. <laughs> they would hear every step, every time the foot moved, every time the hand went to the door, there'd be a quality of mindfulness which not even the Buddha could get near. And, and therefore, say, it's not just being mindful, it's being mindful but with what goes with it. What's the intention that goes with it? What's the support that goes with it? with it. And therefore its attitudes and intentions of learning to see what is uh, uh, occurring in a non-selfish way, a non-possessive way, an an undemanding way, and to look into life with care, with with sensitivity. So therefore we say mindfulness, yes, but mindfulness requires support, and one of them is those ethical guidelines. So there's meditation, therefore we might say meditation here means mindfulness with the form, awareness with the form, direct observation with the form, of sitting, of slow walking. The rest of the day obviously matters equally, because life is in the rest of the day as much as it is in the sitting, walking form. So ethical guidelines is one. The second is awarenesses, the mindfulnesses, the meditations, the, the contemplations on life, the interest in life. And the third, which gives support to what we uh, put in the name of uh, spirituality, just as the uh, professor on poetry put the meter into the nature of what uh, poetry is, is wisdom is living with wisdom, is living with insight, is living with uh, uh, an understanding. And with that, that means that sometimes, I think in the tradition, spirit tradition, and particularly um, in uh, the circle sometimes of uh, insight meditation, of uh, uh, vipassana, as it is called, which I think is um, such a odd word to try to get one's uh, tongue around and I'm always very delighted when people do come and sit retreats with me and throughout the retreat week ten days or even longer I've never actually used the word vipassana and I've actually had people who've sat retreats with me and have asked me some days weeks months later or at a later retreat they say um, have you ever heard of this <laughs> meditation you know, do you know anything about it? <laughs> mm, very little, thank God. So, in the tradition, the word vipassana, it means um, insight meditation. That's and that um, word vipassana, strictly in the way the Buddha has used it, is, it means insight. So wherever, whatever the conditions in your life and my life, which, in which there is insight, but again, insight which makes a difference to our life. Insight makes some difference to our life. Insight means that we understand something. One can have millions of insights in religion, science, education, and all other things, of course one can. But this is insights which make a difference to our life, which bring understanding. And I said sometimes, why not call it VIP meditation? And, and one, c- because the Zen Wallers, they have Zen, it's a nice short word, and why not abbreviate Vipassana to have Vip? It would be much more, maybe Zip might be even better. <laughs> so, ethical guidelines, meditation, and Vip, I mean, sorry, insight, meditation, <laughs> insight, those give support to what we mean with spirituality. But then the word understanding, what is it to? actually understand something about life or understand something about a particular or about a general. And and I think what is shown and what the Buddha has shown very, very clearly here, when we speak of understanding, it's as though, metaphorically speaking, that issue, that matter, and particularly that suffering, that, that we've understood that event. The understanding, as it were, it's, as it as were stands over us. It means it doesn't act as a shadow over us. We don't feel uh, threatened or consumed or burnt out or um, stuck with in any way. So to understand something, it means that we've looked at it, we've faced it, we've uh, realized something, and it's not the issue. The memory may be there, the, the knowledge and the information may be there, but we're not living in fear of. We've looked at the tiger and we've seen that the tiger has neither teeth nor claws. That says wisdom. That says understanding. So, within, shall we say, the the body of ethics and meditative awarenesses and wisdom, that whole body serves all humanity it ser- it serves life, and they' are all interdependent and all mutually inter su- uh, supportive and connected with each other let's say let's say to ourselves as the, as the teachings have said for generations let's really make this matter let's have real wholehearted faith in and trust in this, and that trust because That's what intelligence is. That's what wisdom is all about. And if we have faith and trust in that, one's faith and trust in that means that the other things of life will in a way take care of themselves the necessities of life, the food, the clothing, the shelter, the the medicine, the the way of living in the the world, the peace and contentment of mind, the joys of life, all of that, and the support will all flower through it if there's the wholehearted commitment to it. And there are many, many people near and far, in this room and elsewhere, who are living witnesses of the love of the body of what we call spirituality and saying everything else flowers from that. Everything of beauty of life actually can't be separated from those three areas. <coughs> we have an opportunity here with the meditations, with the mindfulnesses, with, with the looking into things to let all of that be really grounded in our life. And then this is a wonderful life to lead. It's a precious life to leave, live. It's a precious uh, support for others as well. May all beings see into life. May all beings see, see through the marketable realities. May all beings live with the body of teachings that give support to one and all. Let's have a couple of quiet minutes together, shall we please?